Hello everyone and welcome to another exciting episode of the Cabot Cove Gazette. This is part two of our special episode on the Magnum P.I. Murder, She Wrote crossover. So what happens in the Murder, She Wrote episode? So, you know, it, it really does sort of seamlessly pick up from climax of the, of the Magnum episode. Mm-hmm. And remember, this was broadcast uh, Wednesday night and Sunday night. Mm. So people only had to wait a few days. And so they, um, I think it does seamlessly pick up in a way that is great because we don't need a bunch of recapping. It was just a few days. Right. Yeah. But anyway, so we, um, we start with, you know, Magnum's in jail now. And the police officers we've seen already be really antagonistic to him, as everyone's antagonistic to him, clearly. And so he can't get bailed out because there's been magically misplaced paperwork and he's stuck in jail. And so that means Jessica has to investigate, right? Right. And ultimately, she so she just goes around talking to people and they, I don't know, she's a very interesting investigation style teach if you think about it. Because like all she does Mm -hmm. is just like talk to people and then they just tell her. And it's like, well, then yeah. why was that kept a secret for, you know, three days or 45 minutes beforehand? Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, I think that's so revealing about the kind of person that Jessica Fletcher is. I mean, because I do think that people, I mean, in the real world. Do you or do you think it's like just bad writing? Well, I mean, to give the show the, the benefit of the doubt, I do think that it is true. I mean, obviously, some of it is, you know, narrative convenience. But I also do think it's true that you, I think that in the real world, people are surprisingly voluble, like they'll be surprisingly revealing in the right circumstances. And I can't, I can easily imagine someone like Jessica, who is just kind of effortlessly, as we've talked about so many times mm-hmm. before, gracious and kind and just, you know, a good listener. I think people are far more revealing than I think they would necessarily consciously be. I just think that she coaxes that out of them in a very natural way. I want to give the show the benefit of the doubt and just agree or say that it is, you know, revealing that people will often expose more about themselves than they necessarily intend to just because of who Jessica is. I was a skeptical viewer, which will not surprise you because you're always the credulous one and I'm always the skeptical one who's like, Mm -hmm. this doesn't make any sense. But I think... Uh, we don't, nothing really happens in the Magnum episode. There's lots of like chases and gun shoots outs, but like ultimately nothing with the mystery advances. And then things advance too quickly in the murder she wrote episode to my taste. Like uh, it's just all these weird coincidental things happen. Like Jessica is very suspicious about these diamonds that Amy has. And at one point Pamela walks into the room and she's like, I have this weird gift that Amy told me to hold on to. And they're all like that. That seems weird. And then they open it and it's like the diamonds. And that's how they learn that she has diamonds. And then Amy just happens to walk in at that exact moment and is like, oh, no, you're looking at my diamonds. I told you not to touch them. Right. And I got to admit that I found the Amy subplot utterly flummoxing. It's not that I didn't care because, I mean, I do find that, like, you know, the spousal abuse plot is is vexing. But I was just sort of like, what is this doing in this just being a red yeah, herring. Yeah, and not a particularly convincing one. Like, I just was like, mm-hmm. well, obviously this isn't it. Like, you know, there's, this is not really intrinsically mm-hmm. connected to the murder as, as the two mm-hmm. murders that we see. Like, I, you know, I was just like, eh, it's fine. And I mean, the story would make sense. It'd be interesting in maybe another Murder, She Wrote episode. I'm just not sure it was particularly useful in this one. Well, the domestic violence that TJ refers to happens like immediately after what I was just talking about. So it's like yet another in the series of coincidences. <laughs> so Amy is like, you guys are looking at my diamonds. I told you not to do that. Ah, and she runs away. And Jessica's <laughs> like, I better go talk to her. 
And they go talk weirdly <laughs> outdoors and order drinks before they talk. So that's a weird little bit of set dressing. And then Amy's like, you know, tells Jessica she ran away from her husband. They go inside. Husband just happens to be there in the lobby. The whole thing is just very weird to me. Right. Because didn't Pamela invite him not realizing that he was an abusive monster? Like, isn't that the isn't that the subplot? Yeah. And it's just like, okay. I mean, but he just happened to be there right at that moment when they have. Yes, exactly. And I I mean, if I were a writer, I would probably do the same thing because we just need to wrap up that storyline. So, you know, like she's the red herring. This wasn't it. We got to investigate elsewhere. Monster. Like he like threatens his wife with a crowbar. And as he says, because after he breaks into her hotel room, he's like, this worked really well at breaking down the door. It could work equally well in breaking open a head, which is really, you know, awful. And then he attacks poor. Yeah, he comes after Jessica and her with a crowbar. Yeah, then he attacks Higgins. Well, that's the best part is he's like coming at Jessica with a crowbar and she's like, somebody's behind you. And he's like, I'm not falling for that. And like Higgins literally is behind him and karate chops him and they start wrestling together. The only part about that I don't like is that we get a shot of Jessica sort of dancing like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do while these men are fighting. Right. And then she just sort of kicks the crowbar away and that's her contribution to the big scene. But it does give her admiration for Higgins because she's like, oh, you that was just so great how you took him down. Just, so maybe she's a little smitten back. Right, and kudos to Hillerman for, of course, being fabulous as Higgins, as always. He's so great. Uh, he's yeah. truly, uh, what an iconic performance. But that means the killer wasn't after Amy, and Amy's not the other killer, so right. we have to keep investigating. And while that's happening, Magnum gets bailed out of jail, but uh, Jessica doesn't know that, and uh, somebody else, the, the guy who's tailing Amy, the professional assassin, turns up dead. No, the guy from the office, Pack Isle Industries, turns up dead with a Detroit Tigers baseball cap yes. neatly placed at the scene, which would imply that Magnum did it because he's always wearing a Tigers baseball cap. Right. The question clearly must be Magnum, as if like even Magnum and all of his, you know, sort of blasé attitude toward everything would be stupid enough to leave his hat behind. Like, I mean- yes. Because, yes, for all of his, like, fuck-ups, like, Magnum is not going to forget his beloved, by the way, Tiger's cap at the scene of a crime he committed. Right. No, it come just, on. It's just significant. It signifies, you know, how willing the police are to believe anything about Magnum that's bad. Well, now he's gonna be arrested again for a second time for murder. He really just can't keep himself out of trouble. It's true. And they've just been waiting. But it's like, it does strain... Even my credibility, or my credulity, sorry, to for the police to believe that he would actually cold-bloodedly murder someone, like shoot him in the back. Like, it's not like these cops are strangers to Magnum. It's just like, it's like, you really believe that Magnum yeah. would shoot someone like that? Like, I know that, you know, you see him as a threat, but really? Like, that's just... It's true, because they work with him all the time. I mean, that's, they're, they're part of the universe of this show, um, so yeah, it is a little bit silly. It's almost as if like Mort wouldn't believe Jessica understood what had happened with the murder in Cabot Cove. Yeah, exactly. Be like, come on, like, of course you're going to listen to her. You know her. Or even that they would yeah. believe that Jessica had committed a murder. Like that would be, it would just be quite distressing. Yeah. Well, it motivates Jessica to keep finding out what's going on because she also is like, no way Magnum did this. He's not that stupid. <laughs> and uh, what I love is that she pulls the old, like, oh, I locked myself out of my hotel room. Can you let me in bit with the hotel maid? Uh-huh. So we get our little requisite Jessica role-playing moment, uh-huh. which you and oh, I, I love, love right? That. 
Yeah. And of course, the hotel maid is the prostitute from St. Olaf. It is indeed. Yep. Who, ironically enough, says she's like saving up money to do something like just as she was arguably in, in the Golden <laughs> Girls. <laughs> We're referring to an episode of the Golden Girls. Well, you'll probably give up faster somewhere. Oh, it's called Ladies of the Evening, where the girls go to a uh, Burt Reynolds uh, dinner theater or thing for Burt Reynolds, and they are inadvertently arrested as prostitutes. And then while well, they're in the slammer, they meet another young prostitute from Minnesota who bonds with Rose over the fact that they're both from Minnesota. Oh, you're right. She's not from St. Olaf. She's from St. Gustav, Gustav or something, yep. isn't she? She is from St. Gustav. And then she decides to go back home because she didn't want to be in the business as long as Rose. That's basically <laughs> the gist of that. Rose, she tells Rose she inspired her. And there's this beautiful moment where Rose is like, wow, I've changed your life. But it's it's actually just because she doesn't want to be a prostitute when she's that old. And as Rose says, <laughs> never felt so good and so cheap in all my life. Yeah. So she's our maid, and she lets Jessica in, and Jessica's now in Joan's room, and uh, Joan comes in in all her beautiful black oh, dress glory. God, there's like just something about Jessica with her. Like, she's just amazing. She's so great. And, like, also, like, I mean, this is, you know, what is this, like, 20, 20 years before Arrested Development? And um, she looks the same. And she plays the same. I do. Like, the same sort of gravitas, the same sort of, like snarky sexy like it didn't it wasn't something that she acquired with age it was as if she was always that sort of like esteemed woman Mm -hmm. she ever never was a kid you know like she was not that person yep and the the matter of fact way in which she says magnum just kind of got caught in the crossfire like she didn't set out like to to necessarily frame magnum it just reminded me of the scenes like it's a banana michael how much could it cost eight dollars or whatever the line is twenty dollars yeah twenty (laughs) dollars It's Magnum going to prison. How long could he go to jail for? His whole life? Like, you know, there's just the... Yes, the that's kind of, such a good point. Yeah, the kind of careless disregard for anyone who might get caught in the crossfire of her own schemes is really breathtaking. Well, just, and just a sort of nonchalance about details, right? The, the cost of a banana, someone getting arrested, it all just sort of gets in the way of my life. I, I can't be burdened with those things. And I mean, the irony of all this, of course, you know, it's not as if, like... Joan is completely like misguided in her efforts to protect herself. Like she's not lying when she says that. No, because they they were trying to kill yeah, her. Yeah, they were putting out hits on her. So she killed him first, right? I mean, which you know, she's just protecting herself. Right. When it comes to like murder motivations on Murder She Wrote, this is one of the very few that I think, like, other than sort of you know the usual list of lust, greed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, like this is a genuine. Like she has a threat to her life, and I think she's right to point out that you know. She, you know, because Jessica's like, well, you could have gone to the police. And she's like, well, yeah, I could have, but would they believe me or would they be able to do anything more to the point? So, you know, there's a, there's a critical. So clearly uh, Justice- the solution was to set up this whole thing where you. Right. Yeah. I, I'm okay. not saying, like I said, we're, we don't justify murder here at McCann. <laughs> I'm just saying. We actually, I think that if you listen to a lot of our past episodes, one of us frequently <laughs> justifies murder alarmingly. Only in the fiction. Oh. There's probably an FBI file on you somewhere, is all I gotta say. Only in fiction, my dear. Only in fiction. Thank you for that clarification. <laughs> well, in case the NSA is listening. I mean, I'm telling you, Teach, I have listened to all of our episodes. You talk about, like, why well, would murder for that reason? Why well, would murder for you? Would you murder for me? I'm like, it's really Well, would you? you st- I just I keep no. asking that. <laughs> well, remi- remind, me when I have a li- remind me when I have a real estate deal 
that I have to that I need you to buy into that you'll be one of the first that I go to. <laughs> are there beautiful flowers? There are beautiful flowers. Yes, <laughs> fields of beautiful flowers. I, I have a, I have a whole field to sell you. So anyway, Jessica's confronting Joan in her hotel room, and there, of course, Joan is doing the murder she wrote thing where she's got to confess everything instead of just quickly killing Jessica. And uh, at the same time, we see that Magnum is outside climbing the hotel window ledge. It's very Magnum. It is very Magnum. And so he, you know, right as she's ready to shoot Jessica, he jumps in the window and scares Joan. And But doesn't get the gun away from her. He doesn't take the gun away from her because he's Magnum. So he just sort of stands there with his hands up. Now she's pointing a gun at him. I know. I was like, so <laughs> you're supposed to be the knight in shining armor. Right now you're both just standing there at the mercy of Joan. You know what? I, I made my notes uh, ahead as I was watching. I was like, Magnum's outside the window. Magnum crashes through. And then I had to like scribble it out. Like, no. He, he just gently climbs through an already open window and stands there. But the police happen to arrive at that exact moment. Joan, in a fit of panic, shoots at the door toward where they're knocking. And then the comical thing is that that enables Magnum to grab the gun right as the police arrive. And then they see him holding a gun and they've just heard gunshots. So it looks like he's probably going to get arrested a third time. And Jessica is like, oh, my gosh, I will explain. Like, You just keep getting yourself into more and more trouble. I'm going to have to handle this one. Right. Which, of course, I mean, still, as we've noted many times on this podcast, it's like, well, even if she does explain it, the cops have really no reason to take her word. I mean, Joan could just continue to deny. Uh-huh. Totally. But, I mean, but, there's no but she pulls her Governor evidence. Trump card. She she did that before to get Magnum out and right. she'll, she does it again and she gets his license reinstated. We, all of this we don't see. We just hear Magnum telling her thank you for doing. But yeah, she, she's got connections. She just uses them. Right. She's getting a little highfalutin Ms. Fletcher. Yeah, exactly. Do I need to call the governor to get what I want? You know? It's not very, it's, uh, it's not very appealing. Right. I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. <laughs> but you know, you mentioned like why would they listen to her and it occurs to me that what we also... Uh, in the course of her investigation, we see her tromping around the estate where the party was, and she finds a shell casing that sort of disproves the police's theory about who shot who, when, mm-hmm. and how, and with which gun. And um, she finds the shell casing, and she just, like, picks it up and brings it to the police. And it's like, here's this shell casing, and here's where I found it. Like, why on earth would they ever believe right. that? And also, like, why didn't they search the property after the murder? Yeah. There's anyway. a lot of questions about police work in television land. If you are Jessica Fletcher, you assume the police will always listen to whatever you have to say and take your word for it. Because why wouldn't they? I mean, it's J.B. Fletcher, famous, you know, mystery yes. novelist and amateur private investigator, apparently. They call her some very flattery things. Pamela describes her as real help on the way. And uh, Higgins, this is all before she arrives, right? And we're still like, it's supposed to be a question mark who this amazing investigator is. Although not really, because you would have been watching this knowing it was a crossover. But anyway, Higgins describes her as a renowned name in the t- intelligence community. You know, like, like such a, like, like, it, I mean, it, almost as if she's like some like black ops, you know, CIA operative, you know, whatever. No, it's, it's Jess who types novels at her dining room table in Cabot Cove. On a typewriter. Which is part of the deal that Magna makes with her at the end. He says, listen, we're going to go our separate ways. You don't take out a private investigator's license. I won't buy a typewriter, which is a really cute way, I think, of parsing again their sort of separate, you know, approaches to mystery. Yeah. And I mean, 
as if Magnum could ever write as well as our beloved J.B. Fletcher, but that's neither here nor there. I don't know. I mean, in the opening credits, we see some pretty dreadful writing on that typewriter. <laughs> Must be doing something right, though, given your enormous success. Yeah, readers like pretty dreadful writing, I guess. It sells. Well, that's true. That is absolutely true. <laughs> so um, the final shot, Teach, we got to talk about that. Of course. Magnum and Jessica on the estate, ocean in the background, high-fiving and laughing. Oh, I love it. Uh, I live for this final shot. It is the best one in the series, hands down. You know, when we talk so much about, have talked about so much before, the way in which these moments sort of project us into the, a positive future of optimism and joy with equilibrium restored, like all of that mm. stuff is so epitomized by that particular moment. Like, and as I said earlier, the, the easy camaraderie between Magnum and Jessica is just emblematized in that moment. You know, it's just a moment of such naked and pure joy that I just inject it straight into my veins is what I'm saying. You know, I think this really harkens back to what we've said about Jessica before, that she is very, very good and making friends with lots of different kinds of people from different walks of life, because there's definitely tension between her and Magnum at first, um, maybe throughout the course of investigating. But by this point, it's so they're so I think that scene shows us they are so appreciative of those differences. And that they, they've come to this point of, like, really mutual respect. You know, they've each saved each other from getting murdered at some point. And there just seems to be such, like, mutual respect. And I love that because I think that says so much about Jessica's character. Mm-hmm. That she, like, why on earth is she friends with this guy? Well, she probably will be and they'll probably stay in touch. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I like to imagine that there's an entire extended universe of Jessica Magnum Jessica Magnum crossovers. <gasps> I'm totally going to go look up that fan fiction tonight. And also, like, do you want to write some together? That would be amazing. Yeah, we should apply to be ghostwriters for that series that's, that's still going on. I'm sure there's, I'm sure there are more Murder, She Wrote fans who want to see more of J.B. Fletcher more Magnum and Magnum. crossovers. Yeah, Magnum. You know, Magnum P.I. did several mm-hmm. crossovers. Like, they did this one. They did one with Simon and Simon. That's, such, that's an even weirder one than this one. Why? It's, like, basically the same. Well, I know. But, like, I don't know. There's just something innately strange about seeing Magnum P.I. and Simon and Simon in the same show. Yeah? Why? I don't know. It just... I mean, I guess I'm just not as familiar with Simon. I mean, I'm even less familiar with Simon and Simon than I am with Magnum P.I. Like, yeah. I remember it, but I but I didn't really watch it. I'm I'm less familiar with it, too, but it's kind of the same shtick, right? Like, one's the fuddy-duddy, one's the younger, you know, daredevilish one. It's like kind of like Magnum and Higgins, so it seems like it's really kind of the same. Yeah. Would totally track that there would be a crossover. I, I guess so. But... But my point is, though, that Murder, She Wrote never did another one. And I think that's pretty telling. Ooh, yeah, that is. First of all, they kind of went out of favor mm-hmm. later into the 90s. But I definitely think it indicates that, like, they did not like doing it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm glad you said that about, like, because I think that one of the things that I enjoyed about this particular experience was just so how perfectly well it captured the experience of, like, watching 80s TV. Like, Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm an 80s kid. I was born in 84, so I can remember this stuff in a very vague sense. But I do remember, like, Mm -hmm. the joy of crossovers like this. Like, there's Mm -hmm. just something really fun about seeing your favorite universes brought together. And it's not, I mean, you see it in contemporary, like, entertainment by, say, for example, the new Spider-Man movie where the three different versions of Spider-Man intersect with each other, which is not quite the same thing, but it's kind of, there's something really nice and pleasant about seeing your beloved characters 
from different seemingly different universes connecting with each other like mm-hmm. it's something just really comforting about it and in this case it's just something very paradigmatically 80s about it which i also enjoyed yeah because crossovers were really a big thing in the 80s and uh, i kind of miss them Mm-hmm. I kind of miss them. And then if we think about the industry, too, it's curious because the industry has become more consolidated since mm-hmm. then, meaning that the same production companies and networks are owned by the same you know, parent holding companies. And so it would be very easy to do them more frequently now. Uh, and yet we see them less, which is weird. Yep. Except, like I said, in the MCU and other properties like that. Well, in, in like things that are designed as textual universes, like franchises, right? Yeah, and so you know, it's it's just really deeply emblem- symptomatic of how different television works and looks and feels now in the twenty first century mm-hmm. than it did in the less, like, the waning days of the twentieth. I'm going to go ahead and say this is an A plus. Uh, there's so much we could critique that like very little happens in the Magnum episode, and that not enough happens uh, in the Jessica episode that makes sense, and yet doesn't matter. It's fun. It's nope. sharp. It's just a rollicking good two-part time. And that's what I love about it. It's just fun. Like, sometimes it's really nice just to sit down and to watch something that is unabashedly and unreservedly fun. Well, that seems like a really good place to end with a nice upbeat upbeat note. So, for the Cabot Co. Gazette, I am your co-host, TJ. I'm Bridget. And we will talk to you next week. The Cabot Cove Gazette's theme song is Reaching the Sky by Alexander Nakarada, used under Creative Commons license. You can find us on social media. We're Cabot Cove Gazette on Facebook and at Cove Gazette on Instagram and Twitter.